Uh, let's go ahead and open up our Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. And I'd like to read our text. We're just going to be looking at verse 14 this morning. Where Paul says, but thanks be to God who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession. And through us speaks the fragrance of the knowledge of him in every place. Let's pray. Our Lord, we do thank you, God, our father for captivating us, for capturing us in Christ and leading us behind him as our general, as his slaves. We joyfully thank you, Lord, that we have been enslaved by Christ so that we might be freed from sin and the devil in the world. And we thank you, Lord, that you are always and in every place spreading the fragrance of the knowledge of him the gospel. We pray, Father, that the gospel would continue to go out in Indonesia through wave three. We pray that the gospel would continue to go out to this church. We pray this in Christ's name. All God's people said, amen. We've titled our message this morning, POWs on Parade. The Scottish minister, Alexander McLaren, has a wonderful description of the custom of the Roman triumph that is pictured uh, behind me when he says the long procession, the victorious general in his chariot with his white horses and laureled soldiers, the sullen captives with suppressed hate flashing in their sunken eyes, the wreathing clouds of incense that went up into the blue sky, and the shouting multitudes of spectators. That is the picture in the apostles' mind here in our text. And again, our text says, But thanks be to God who always leads us as captives in God's in Christ's triumphal procession. And through us spreads the fragrant the fragrance of the knowledge of him in every place. If you were to travel to Rome, you uh, you may have seen the Ark of Titus in Rome, and the picture behind me is actually one of the reliefs called the Spoils of Rome. This Ark was set up after uh, Titus's death. Um, the Caesar of of, uh, of 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 the Roman Empire, but it was set up to commemorate uh, his victory over Jerusalem. And as he came into Jerusalem, he had the spoils of Jerusalem and he had captives that came in his wake in the tradition of the Roman triumph. In fact, our word triumph comes from this term. Uh, it was actually a ceremony where uh, Caesars or victors, Roman generals uh, would come into Rome after a victory that they had won led by white horses. Some victors came in actually being led by elephants or lions. Uh, but what was true in every one of these triumphs is you would have your captives behind you. The most prominent captives would be kind of in the front of the train. 
and the crowds would be giving adulation and there would be incense and roses being thrown. So there would be all of the sights and the smells of triumph. And that's really that is the picture that Paul gives us in our text today. Paul glories in the image of Christians as people taken captive by Christ. And this prisoner of war himself, Paul, offers thanksgiving for being taken as a prisoner of war. It reminds me of another prisoner of war, an American prisoner of war that I've mentioned in previous messages. His name is Jacob DeShazer. Jacob DeShazer was uh, 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 working in a kitchen on December 7th, 1941, when he heard about the bombing of Pearl Harbor and he took a potato and hurled it against the wall and said, you Japs, just wait and see what's going to happen to you. Then he volunteered for the Jimmy Doolittle Raiders. He's the little guy in the back. And um, on April 18th, 1942, they bombed Tokyo. But as they were trying to fly back to China, they ran out of gas and had to parachute into a part of China that was held by the Japanese. And Jimmy Doolittle was taken captive with seven, six others uh, in his party. Uh, this is actually John Height that's pictured here, but this would have been uh, the same treatment that would have been had by Jacob DeShazer. Um, they were taken to Tokyo and paraded around Tokyo as captives, as people hurled insults against them for their bombing of Tokyo. Out of the seven captives, three of them died. Uh, two were executed. One died of starvation. Uh, but eventually, on August 20th, 1945, Jacob DeShazar found his freedom with the other um, of his compatriots. But what happened while he was imprisoned is the part of Jacob's story that he loves to tell. While he was in isolation and being beaten on a daily basis and the hatred growing in his heart for the Japanese, he began to question, why is it that there is such hatred between human beings? And he began to reflect upon what he had learned when he was younger, that he had heard the Christian message. He was not a Christian himself, but he wanted to get a copy of the Christian Bible and began to ask his captors for a copy of the Bible, uh, to which they actually responded mercifully and allowed him to have a Bible in his cell for three weeks. He read the entire scriptures. In fact, he read the prophets six times over, meditating upon them just being overwhelmed with this Messiah that was being prophesied. And then as he began to get to the Gospels in the New Testament, he was overwhelmed um, with, particularly when Jesus is on the cross and he says about his enemies, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. When he got to that part in Romans where it says, whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, Jacob de Shazar began to feel a presence in his cell as he describes it and called upon the name of Jesus Christ. And he says that the hatred that he had for the Japanese began to melt away as he began to actually love those that were beating him on a daily basis and actually began to feel sorry for those that had taken him captive. 
Well, he was eventually released. He came back and studied at Seattle Pacific College, all with the idea of going back to Tokyo to share the gospel. And this is actually one of the former prison guards that he was able to share the gospel with when he went back to Japan. And as many of you guys know the story, he recorded his testimony in a pamphlet called I Was a Prisoner of Japan. This pamphlet was given to a Japanese soldier one day who was getting off the train in Tokyo at Shibuya, Shibuya Station. Uh, an, American sold, uh, an American was distributing literature, gave uh, this tract to a, a man named Mitsuo Fuchida, who was actually the man who led the attack on Pearl Harbor. He read the tract, read the pamphlet about Jacob DeShazar's story, was overwhelmed by the story, and through other circumstances we'll talk la- about later, he came to know Christ, and they later became lifelong friends. This is actually Jacob DeShazar with Mitsuo Fuchida. All this to say that here's a man who was captured and paraded around Japan who actually wanted to go back to that very place so that his life could be a fragrance of the gospel. That puts on display what Paul is talking about in our text. Thanks be to God who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him in every place. In this text, we see Paul really gives thanks for two different things. It's really one idea, but we're going to talk about it in two different aspects of this Thanksgiving. So let's first of all talk about the fact that Paul thanks a God who continually parades his ministers around as prisoners of war conquered by Christ. That's what the first part of our text says. And if you guys recall, 2 Corinthians, this is obviously um, the second letter that's listed in our Bible. There's actually a third letter that we have no idea where it is that Paul had written. But Paul writes the second letter because he had been worried that there had been a misunderstanding about his first letter that he calls the sorrowful letter. And he had sent Titus over to Corinth to, to check up on on the Corinthians. He was very uh, anxious about how they were doing. In fact, so anxious that he tells us in this letter in Second Corinthians that while he had a wide open opportunity to preach the gospel in Troas, he actually moves away from Troas earlier than anticipated to go up to Macedonia in hopes of running into Titus at one of the local churches. When he does run into Titus, he finds out that the Corinthians have responded well to the letter that actually the person that he had talked about doing church discipline on had repented. And so now he rejoices. And what we see in verse 14 is really the overflow of him rejoicing on the back end of anxiety for the Corinthian church. And so he says, but thanks be to God who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession. So notwithstanding all of the fears and anxieties that he had had about the Corinthian church, he now gives thanks to God the Father because God always, that is, he continually leads us, Paul is saying us, meaning the apostles and his his team, in victorious, triumphant procession as prisoners of war, 
captured by Christ or captured inside of Christ. Paul here thinks of himself and his co-laborers in the Christian work as being conquered captives made to follow their conqueror and to swell in his triumph. He is thankful to be so overcome. What was the deepest degradation uh, to him, to others, is to him a supreme honor. Curses may break out from the lips of those that are captured by a conqueror, but for Paul, it elicits uh, uh, irrepressible praise. He joins in the shout of acclamation to the conqueror. And while Paul here is talking primarily about himself and his co-laborers, his other apostolic co-laborers, this by extension extends to all of us and all Christians. That's no doubt why it's in the text. But look at your own copy of the scripture. You'll notice that there are different translations here. Uh, If you look at the New King James, which is the translation that I love just because I grew up with it, it says, now thanks be to God who always leads us, leads us in triumph in Christ. That translation leads us to believe that the triumph is ours, whereas the New American Standard says who always leads us in his triumph in Christ. That does better. ESV, but thanks be to God who is in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession that does even better. And really the NIV, I think really, really spells out the full picture here of a Roman triumph as the NIV says, but thanks be to God who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession. That in my opinion does best with this particular word. Again, this is a very unique word that has to do with a Roman conqueror coming into Rome with his captive in his train. It's very, very, very specific. This is what happened to Cleopatra. She came in as a captive. This is what happened numerous occasions, if granted by the emperors, the the conqueror would come in with slaves or, or captives in his train. And this is not a foreign thought to Paul as he many times describes himself as a slave of Christ. Romans 1, 1, for instance, and even speaks of himself as a fellow prisoner of war in various passages like Romans 16, 7, Colossians 4, 10, just to name a few. But turn over to Colossians 2, 15 for a moment, because in Colossians 2, 15, You have the only other use of this word, this Greek word, translated for us in our English copies. This is the only other place that you see this word, even though it is used in extra biblical literature. But it always has this same idea. Again, look at Colossians 2.15. I'm going to read this from the NIV. Paul says, And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing, uh, uh, triumphing over them by the cross. That triumphing word is our word. And the way that Paul describes this is that the, the demonic powers are being made a public spectacle by Christ. That's exactly the idea of this word. It's to shame the captives, to make a public spectacle of them. Paul takes the same idea in 1 Corinthians 4, 9. He doesn't use our term, 
But listen to what he says in 1 Corinthians 4, 9. For it seemed to me that God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession, like those condemned to die in the arena, we have been made a spectacle to the whole universe, to angels as well as to human beings. So Paul is very familiar with this concept, even though he as yet has had not visited Rome. He's very familiar with the idea of a conqueror that would come in and make a public spectacle of his captives and Paul in our text is taking glory in that fact. He is thanking God that he gets to be counted a captive in the train of the conqueror, Jesus Christ. Just an amazing image. It overlaps with other concepts that we see, for instance, in Ephesians four, eight, where Paul is quoting Psalm 68, that Jesus takes captivity captive. You guys are familiar with the term. Oh, to be one of those captives in Christ's train would be the idea that Paul has here. Oh, if we were to put this in New Testament terms, Old Testament terms, oh, to be a Gibeonite, oh, to be one of the Nethanim that merely gets to cut wood and carry water for the sake of Jehovah. This is what Paul is arguing. And let's let's just consider for a moment. Paul's own testimony that this was a man who used to be a foe of Christ, who was on his way to Damascus to arrest Christians and had put many Christians into prison and had actually signed off on their death. He was there when Stephen was martyred and yet on his way to Damascus, totally apart from Paul's will, Jesus Christ shows up and knocks him down. And says, I will show him how much he must suffer for my sake. This is the Jesus Christ that comes and captures Paul's heart and turns him in a completely different direction. Just consider for a moment, you Christian sitting here this morning, you were an enemy. You were an enemy of the cross. And yet you were vanquished if you believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says over in Romans six, for we who were without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly people. Scarcely for a righteous man will somebody die yet, perhaps for a good man, he might dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Verse 10, for if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. This concept of us being enemies that are captured is all over the New Testament. Colossians one twenty one, you who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet he has what reconciled. He's brought us back. And what are the weapons of Christ's warfare. How did he win us back? Well, our text in Romans just said it. God demonstrates his own love towards us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is the theme that Paul's going to pick up later in this very epistle, 2 Corinthians 5.14, when he says, for the love of Christ compels us. The love of Christ constrains, seizes us, That word there seizes us is the exact same word that's used in other contexts for arresting somebody for the love of Christ arrests us. 
because we are convinced that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised from the dead. What gets somebody who is on his way to kill Christians deadly, suddenly start living for Christ? What causes you, Christian, to someone who did not care about the scriptures, did not care about prayer? Maybe like me, you mocked other believers. What makes the change in our hearts where suddenly we're now glad we're captives of Christ? It's the weapon of the love of Christ, is it not? It's the gospel. It's the fact that the Holy Spirit pours the love of Christ into our hearts. And now suddenly we want to go out and live for the one. We don't want to live for ourselves anymore. We want to live for him, that conqueror, that general ahead of us. We want to live for him. That's what all Christians in this room want is we see our captain. We see our conqueror and we love to see him glorified. That's what you want. But what about you who are sitting here are still his enemy? We should not be so ignorant to think that everybody in this room is a Christian who's been captivated by Christ. There are those in this room that are still enemies in darkness. What about you? You know, sometimes we talk about how that Christ came to save sinners and we immediately paint sin sometimes in the bleakest and darkest of terms that he came to save murderers. He came to save adulterers. He came to save drug addicts and alcoholics. And that's all true. But the fact is, is the vast majority of you that are sitting in this room haven't necessarily been saved from adultery or alcoholism or drug addiction the vast majority of the christians in this room we've been saved from ourselves we've been saved from pride we've been we've been saved from our own righteousness thinking that we were good enough without christ and there are no doubt people in this room this morning that think they're pretty good without christ or maybe they think they're naming christ but they have not yet been conquered by him Yes, Christ is a wonderful word. We will clap for sermons just like Israel did when they heard Ezekiel prophesy. We'll say, oh, yes, a good sermon, Pastor Milton. Good sermon, Pastor Mike. We appreciate your skills of oratory. And yet they go home still lost. Christ wants to come and conquer you. He is the conqueror. He is the king. There are no options. We must throw up our white flag and say, I will lay down my righteousness. You are righteous. I'm not good enough. I need Christ. This is a true message for you. If you're a pornographer, if you're an adulterer, if you're a drunkard, if you are addicted to drugs. But this is true of you. If you are none of those and you're just self-righteous and you just think you're good enough without Jesus. You just you're you're well you're welled up with pride and you've you have your shield up against Christ. That shield can be broken this morning by the love of Christ. That as Christ loves the drunkard, he also loves the hypocrite. He loves the religious person. You know, Paul was a very religious person. He kept the law. He was very, very zealous for God. But he was deceived in an enemy of the cross and God knocked him down and now puts 
as we see in our text, puts Paul on display everywhere to show that he can capture his foes and make them do his bidding. And Paul thanks God for that. Paul rejoices that he has been knocked down by Christ. What about you? What about us? But let's look at the second part of this image. And that is this, that Paul thanks God who everywhere diffuses fragrant knowledge knowledge of himself through his POW ministers. Everywhere, he's diffusing this fragrant knowledge of himself through his prisoner of war ministers. Notice what our text says specifically. And through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him in every place. And Paul is thankful for this fact. He is thankful because everywhere Christ is parading Paul and his other ministers who are prisoners of war. And he is making himself, God is making himself further known through the visual and aromatic experience of this procession. Again, back to the Roman triumph as a Roman conqueror would come in. It wasn't just a visual experience. You would see the incense going up. You would see the smoke going up. You would get the smell and the visual display. There would be uh, flowers thrown onto the road as the conqueror would come in to Rome. So there's the appeal to the senses, the clouds of smoke, the fragrance in the nostrils. The literal idea here is that God maketh manifest. He makes known visually the savor of his knowledge. He makes his knowledge known visually and through our nostrils. From a heart kindled by the flame of divine love, there will go up the or the odor of a holy life through Paul. Visible and fragrant, sweet and fair. And that's exactly what we see in Paul's life, that he had he had founded the Corinthian church. Uh, The Lord had taken this one who was an enemy of the cross, brought him all over uh, the Mediterranean area, brings him to Corinth, this place that was just a, a really immoral place, preaches the gospel, founds a church. And then he's worried and concerned, continually worried. And so he's sending more and more fragrance through letters over there. And then when he's not sure how they're doing and he's anxious, he sends Titus over there to check up on them. And then when he goes to Troas, he's starting to preach the gospel and he's starting to let fragrance grow and in Troas. But he's so worried about the Corinthians that he actually leaves this great gospel preaching opportunity to go up to Macedonia in hopes of running into Titus again. And then when he finds out that they're doing well, he rejoices and thanks the Lord and sends this other piece of fragrance through this epistle, Second Corinthians. This is the idea that we have in our text. It's an amazing image, and it begs some takeaways, some questions for us to ponder this morning. What are you thankful for? What are you thankful for? Paul is thankful that he's a captive. Paul's thankful That he's been conquered. That he's a slave in the train of Christ. What are you thankful for this morning? 
in our spiritual lives, brothers and sisters, our only true triumphs are God's triumphs over us. His defeat of us, his defeats of us are our only real victories. And those of us in this room that are truly Christians, you know what I'm talking about. It's been those times in your life when you have felt most vanquished by the spirit that you've had your greatest victories, is it not? Your greatest joy when the Lord comes in and through his spirit, he convicts you of sin and you see your lusts vanquished anew. When you see your anger vanquished anew. When all of a sudden you find yourself doing things for people that just don't come natural to you. You know, this is not me. This is the spirit of Christ in me. That's why this is going on. When all of a sudden you're starting in your marriage to love each other better than you've ever loved each other before, you know, that's Jesus. Why am I suddenly laying my life down in ways that are fresh and new? That's Jesus. And he's in the business. He who began this good work in you will what complete it to the day of Christ Jesus. And so those of us that have been vanquished, it's 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 not a once and for all thing. Our justification is once and for all. But our sanctification is a little trickier, isn't it? Is we did lay our lives down and we were captured in a justification sense. But there's a part of us that we keep wanting to raise that flag of ourselves back up, right? There's a part of me that daily I wake up in the morning and there's a part of me that wants to pick up the flag of Mike and start waving it around. But through the spirit, I'm able to go and pick up the flag of Christ, the flag of surrender and wave that around. And how does that happen? It happens as you and I on a daily basis feel the fact that we really are captives and that we're desperate and that we need to be captivated every morning, right? Every morning, I need to be captivated by Christ. It's Hebrews 3.13 that says that I need, we need to exhort one another daily lest we be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. That's spoken to Christians. You and I need to find exhortation every day lest we be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin that's still there as Christians. So every day, I need to raise the white flag afresh. How do I do that? I raise the white flag afresh as I get into the word of God for myself and I allow the Holy Spirit to pour the love of Christ into my heart. So now that the Holy Spirit has fodder to work with throughout the day, I'm meditating on God's word and I'm and I'm fellowshipping with God's people. And we as captives in his train are reminding ourselves of the conqueror. And we keep pointing each other back to our general and say, remember, he's the one. He's the one, right? And so daily we are surrendering and daily we are finding that thankfulness that Paul expressed in our text rising up in our hearts. Let's ask another takeaway question. What captures you? What is it that captures you? Every day, even as believers, there are things that try to capture us. The devil has ways he wants to capture us. The world is working with the devil. And if that weren't bad enough, there's something still that remains in our flesh that wants to be captured again by the world and the flesh or the world and the devil. What captures you? We have to be careful of even little things. 
Now, I want to be very, very careful about what I'm about ready to say. Uh, I love baseball, and I love watching baseball playoffs, right? And I'm very excited that the Astros have won the last couple games. Very excited. However, (laughs) this time of year is always a tricky time of year for me because I give an inordinate amount of time to watching baseball which means I'm exposed to all of the nonsense that comes with the commercials. Not to mention the fact that once I look at my clock, I realize I've just spent four and a half hours watching baseball, which I love. But I'll just, can I just be honest with you guys for a second? And will you guys not judge me if I say this? Is after four and a half hours of watching baseball, while I love watching it, I feel my heart getting hard. Just in a short time, my heart's already hard and I got to go take a Bible bath. Why is it because baseball's bad? It has nothing to do with baseball being bad. It's my heart. I'm already finding my heart drawn to the commercials and the food and El Pollo Loco and (laughs) the things that are just being presented to my senses, the smells and the the taste and the touch. And I haven't really been thinking about Christ, my general, my, my, my captain, for about four and a half hours. And four and a half hours away from my captain does something to my heart. And so I have to get back. I have to get a Bible bath after I'm done. I have to get back in the Word. And I, I hope you guys don't judge me for that. And I hope you guys don't think I'm saying baseball is a bad thing or whatever hobby it is. What I am saying is we have to be careful of what captures us. I get captured by things so easily. But the only thing that is going to satisfy my heart, the one thing that is going to cause my heart and your heart to well up in thanksgiving like Paul is our captain, Jesus Christ. That's what satisfies the heart. That's what satisfies. And so ask yourself, what is capturing you? And again, we've, we've asked this question. Some of us in this room have been captured by Christ. And we need to be recaptured every morning, just like that great theologian Flame says, right? Christian rapper Flame is we need to be captured again and captured again and captured again. Check it out. It's a great song. Um, but there are those of you in this room who have not been captured by Christ. And you just don't know what you're missing. You know, the Bible tells us that every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. And everybody will be captured one day. And we will either be captured by the love of Christ. Or we will be captured by the sword of Christ. It's going to be one or the other. Um, I pray that you'll be captured by the love of Christ. Let's talk about a final takeaway. And and that is a question we can ask. That's what's your fragrance? What's your fragrance? I know my wife's fragrance. It's Coco Chanel Mademoiselle. (laughs) So I had to memorize that. So when I go down to uh, Macy's, I just walk up and I say, give me some Coco Chanel Mademoiselle. And then they bring me the big one. I look at the price tag and I say, no, give me the smaller one. I'll take, a, I'll take that little small one right there. Uh, I like wearing Curve. I don't know what, why, but I put on Curve. And uh, my wife likes it, so I wear that. 
Paul here says, right? Thanks be to God. It is God who through us is spreading the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. So the fragrance image here really is that we are the fragrance of Christ, that God's in the business of spreading around Paul and his ministers. He's spreading them around so that they can spread his knowledge everywhere. And then we will talk about verse 15 next time. But Paul says we are to God, the pleasing aroma of Christ. So first and foremost, we are to God, this fragrance, and it's a pleasing fragrance because we're in Christ. So therefore, He's never displeased with the fragrance that he's getting from us if we're in Christ because he's always pleased with the son, right? That's his complicity, uh, complacency in the son. Um, and so we, just by virtue of being in Christ, give off a fragrance of Christ. You can't help that. That's just who you are, right? Even on your worst day, this is something we have to remember as Christians. This is positional righteousness stuff, right? This is who we are in Christ. Even on your worst day, God smells. He says, I'm well pleased. And we say, what? What are you smelling? He's like, I'm smelling my son. I'm smelling Jesus. If you're in Christ, you always smell good to the father. Right now we know in in working out our salvation, there's things we need to do to become more like who we are. And what can we do to become more like who we are? Well, we've talked about it. It's it's the things it's understanding who we are in Christ first. It's it's reminding ourselves of the love of Christ. It's the love of Christ that constrains us. Right. It's the love of Christ that seizes us. It's letting the word of Christ dwell in us richly. It's 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 understanding the word of Christ and that overwhelming our hearts and then it pouring forth to where now we don't want to live for ourselves. We want to live for him. And then if you finish the thought there in Second Corinthians five, Paul begins to no longer view anyone according to the flesh anymore. Have you guys ever noticed that? Uh, turn back to Second Corinthians um, five there, if you if you don't mind. Yeah, so Second uh, Corinthians five, right after that love of Christ passage. And then he talks about how that we no longer live for ourselves. Then verse 16, therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh because we've been captured because by the love of Christ. We've been seized by the love of Christ. We now want to live for him. And then when we look out into the world, we don't see anybody the same anymore. We look out and we see people and we see some people who are going to heaven and we want to help them. And we see other people are going to hell and we want to help them. We don't view anybody according to the flesh anymore. That's what the Holy Spirit allows us to do. We don't just see people that are cutting us off on the freeway. We see people who are going to heaven or hell. We don't see someone who's just irritating us at the grocery store. We see someone who's going to heaven or going to hell. We don't just see somebody who's irritating us or getting in our way today. We see eternal souls, heaven or hell, we now begin to view everybody is in the train of Christ and they're either going to be captives that get his mercy or captives that get his sword. And so we want to be this fragrance. 
Paul, when he first went into Corinth, had the privilege of getting direct divine revelation from Jesus Christ that there are many people in this city, so don't worry. Go out and preach the gospel. We've been told by direct divine revelation that the fields are white for harvest. And so we can go out in confidence knowing that as the Lord is diffusing the fragrance of Christians, diffusing the fragrance of Christians here at Cornerstone, that he is going to bring people into the harvest. Whether they're in Indonesia, whether they're in China, whether they're in Mexico, whether right here in this area through the Festival of Treats, it's going to happen this week. He's diffusing the fragrance of Christ through us. And we need to be praying that the Lord will continually make us conscious of that. That you and I are a fragrance of Christ and he is sending us places, even in our trials. Now think about this. We're going to... We'll, we'll, Bring things to a close here momentarily. Paul erupts into thanksgiving on the back end of worry and circumstances that don't seem to be going in the right direction. Right. He wanted to find out how the Corinthians were doing. He had sent Titus to take care of that business. But when he got to Troas expecting to find Titus, Titus is nowhere to be found. And so this circumstance from Paul's human perspective is out of control. I don't know what's going on now. I'm worried. I'm anxious. I'm out preaching the gospel. Everybody's loving it. I have open opportunities. He's probably seeing people come to know Christ, but his soul is still stirring for the Corinthians. And so he leaves to go to Macedonia and it's in Macedonia that he finally gets the word that things are going well. Things are good. And so that's what causes him to erupt in Thanksgiving and then write the second, the, the epistle of second Corinthians. And so even in things that don't seem to be going right in your life, guess what? He is causing you to be moved around as his slave. God is moving providentially in your life as his slave to get you his fragrance where he wants you to be. And so even the suffering and the circumstances that we think are out of control, he's moving the pieces in ways that are completely beyond us. Would Jacob DeShazar have signed up to be a POW for 40 months? No, he wanted to bomb Tokyo and get out of there. But God allowed his, his they ran out of gas. He gets, uh, he, he's captivated. He's in a Bible I mean, he's in a in a cell with a Bible for three weeks and suddenly God shows up and he gets saved by himself. Who would have thunk? And then he's able to lead people to Christ in Japan. You are a fragrance. Let me talk about one other aspect of this story that overlaps with Jesajer and Fuchida. It's it's the story about Peggy Covell. Peggy Covell actually uh, lived with her family as missionaries in Japan. But in 1939, it became clear that the country was so unstable that they moved to the Philippines for their safety. Uh, Peggy completed high school in Manila, but then eventually came to the United States in 1940 with their other two siblings, while her mother and father, uh, Jim and Charma, stayed behind in the Philippines. On January 2nd, 1942, uh, Manila was captured 
And Jim and Charma, along with many other Filipinos, had to move up into the mountains and went to a village that they later christened as Hope Vale. They were in hiding from the Japanese soldiers. Uh, But eventually they were discovered on December 19th. 1943, and the Japanese soldiers assumed that these were all spies. They sentenced them to their death. They were all paraded up a hill, but before they were executed, they asked if they could have 30 minutes to pray and to read their Bibles. Then one by one, they were paraded up the hill. All of the adults were beheaded. The children were bayoneted. All their bodies were burned in a hut. And there's Actually, a grave marker there to this day that has the Hope Vale martyrs, including Jim and Charma Covell. Peggy didn't find out about their deaths until after the war when she found out that her parents had been killed in this fashion. She says, quote, my hatred for the Japanese grew white hot. But then she found out about some Japanese POWs who had been captured during the war who had been taken to Colorado and were still in confines in Colorado after the war. And she began to make her way over there on a daily basis to minister to their physical and their spiritual needs. And as she did so, she began to minister the gospel and her own heart just began to melt in love for these Japanese prisoners of war. These Japanese began to ask Peggy, why are you doing this? And she said, because Japanese soldiers beheaded my parents, but the Holy Spirit has melted my heart with love, and I want to share the love of Christ with you. That message haunted these soldiers. Many of them brought this same message back to Japan. One day, a friend of Mitsuo Fuchida arrived on the dock in Japan, and he shared this story with Mitsuo Fuchida about Peggy Covell, and it haunted him. He began to contemplate what kind of God calls upon people to forgive their enemies. It wasn't too long after that that he received a pamphlet about Jacob de Shazar's testimony. And then went to get a Bible for himself, to read the Bible, to read about Jesus Christ, whom Peggy believed in and whom um, Jacob de Shazar believed in. When he got to that part in Luke 23, where Jesus says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Mitsuo Fuchida gave his life to Jesus, spent the rest of his life preaching Christ in his home country and saw great revival break out in the late 40s and the early 50s. He was a fragrance of Christ. Jacob de Shazar was a fragrance of Christ. Peggy Covell, these were fragrances of Christ captivated by Jesus, moved around in circumstances that were completely not in their daytimer, right? Nobody puts it in their daytimer. I, I want to wind out a, a POW. I, wanna, I want my parents to be beheaded. Um, Mitsuo Fuchida, he would not have picked a, to be in the situation that he was in at the times he was in. In fact, he was in Hiroshima the day before the bomb was dropped and was called out of Hiroshima, survives, and then he hears the gospel. This is the kind of captor. This is the kind of general and soldier that we have. Jesus Christ who comes to us. And Paul says, thanks be to God who always, not sometimes, continually leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession. And through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him in every place. May God continue to use you 
believer to spread his fragrance in every place that he takes you this week, whether that be out here at the Festival of Treats, whether it be in your Awana outreach, whether it be in your home, your neighborhood, your place of work. May God bless you and use you as his fragrance. And may we continue to look to the general this morning. And if you do not know Jesus Christ as your Savior, may you bow the knee. May the Holy Spirit enable you to bow the knee to Christ. His weapons are love at this point in in the history of redemption. He woos you with his love. He died on the cross for you. Though we were enemies, he died on the cross. He was raised from the dead to demonstrate that sins had actually been justified for all those who had placed their faith in Christ. If you would simply call upon him, you can be saved. There's no works you can do. There's nothing you can do. You simply just call upon the name of Jesus Christ and he will awaken you to the new birth. Everybody who comes to, into heaven has to be awakened by the new birth. You need to be born again. Then you will begin to view the world differently. You will begin to rejoice that you've been captured by Christ. You will begin to be thankful for the fact that your life can be used as a fragrance. And it, it will place all of the providential circumstances and even the people in your life in a completely different light. Let's go ahead and bow in prayer. Lord, we thank you so much for this wonderful text that we have before us. We thank you, Lord, for using the Apostle Paul who was captured by your love and then how you sent him all throughout the world to be this fragrance and to preach the gospel. And those of us in this room are here partially because of the work that you did through the Apostle Paul. And we now read this fragrance in the text this morning, Bibles that we hold in our hands because this fragrance has come to us. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to feel and sense the love of Christ for his children and that we would happily bend the knee on a daily basis as your spirit moves amongst us. We are living more and more in an evil world, but that is not surprising because we know uh, that the devil is always running about seeking whom he may devour. He's an angel of light that is actually an angel of darkness. But Lord, we bow the knee to you and we thank you that you have begun this good work. We'll complete it to the day that you return. We thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to give this morning. Thank you, Lord, so much for the giving from this congregation that goes to wave three and helps the Bacallas reach out to Indonesians who are lost in Islam. We thank you, Lord, for people who have come to know Christ through their ministry as a direct result of the giving and the fragrance that has come from this congregation. Thank you, Lord, for doing that. We pray that you would continue to bless the giving of, of, of this, this, these people. We thank you, Lord, for uh, just the sweet fragrance that comes to us here through the people of Cornerstone. We pray all this in Christ's name and all God's people said, amen.